Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the Shore's very own financial talk radio show. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my business partner and husband, Kirk Reed, one of my four to oh. ten business partners. Oh, I thought, <laughs> I thought you were going to say one of your favorite oh, uh, no. <laughs> co, uh, you know, One guess. of my favorite co-workers? Yeah, co-hosts. Um, yeah. yeah, I was going to say I have one of my, well, I guess my three business partners, my brother and my father, but we're pretty, um, our office is pretty, I don't know, op open? I don't know. We, we like to, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of people in the office that have strong opinions and we value those opinions. So I kind of, I kind of think of all my coworkers as my business partners. But anyway, I digress. Um, we're, Kirk and I are talking this morning about retirement boot camp, getting in shape for retirement. So we're kind of specifically targeting uh, people on the older pre-retirement um, older age, I guess, pre-retirement years, which for many people might be in your 50s, 60s. Mm -hmm. um, and, you, you know, if you haven't much thought about getting a plan together and, and you know, figuring out if retirement is financially feasible long-term for you, then here are some things you need to know. So we talked about, you know, defining goals, creating the plan, et cetera. I wanted to talk about stress testing a plan. So I guess that's a fancy word for um, thinking about things that could kind of screw it up. And, and trying to mitigate those risks. Um, Making sure that you've got coverage. You've got yeah. e either insurance coverage or you've got a buffer built into your 
budget. You know, you've got you've got the emergency cash. Yeah. Whatever it might be. Or you're at least aware of the risks that you're taking. Right. And some people some people are okay taking certain risks, and that's their choice. But we like to sort of talk about um, from all different angles. Um, you know what can what can cause your plan to fail, and you should at least know these things. So, in the last segment, we talked about implementing or steps to take to achieve your or implement your financial plan and you know simple things like building your assets and reducing your debt um, we didn't much talk about uh, controlling expenditures but but we should we'll talk about that again sort of reinforce that um, I did want to talk about proper investment strategy that you could look at that as a way to implement your plan but also maybe as a way to stress test it too so um, it's one thing to it's incredibly important to create a plan and make sure it's financially successful based on all the assumptions that you've made and uh, making sure you're hitting your savings targets and your portfolio will be large enough to sustain your your the draw you need to take from it long term. Um, but proper investment strategy, I don't think it's the most important thing, but it's certainly important when you think about the long-term success of a plan. And so I guess by that I mean um, we talked a little bit before about taking too much risk and taking too little risk. So I just wanted to touch on that again. Most, it's sort of, it's my belief that most pre-retirees should be in a position where they're reducing risk in their portfolio. And I guess by pre-retiree, I mean like less than 10 years, maybe, maybe, two to five to eight years from retirement, um, it's my belief that those people should be reducing risk in their portfolio. Sort of, you know, most people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, maybe even 50s, they're, they're uh, taking an aggressive position in their, their retirement savings um, because over the long term, that's what, will, that what, that's what has and what likely will achieve you the most return long term. So I think it, it makes, um, the most sense for people on the younger side with a long time horizon to be aggressive in an all stock or, or majority stock portfolios when they're um, a long time from retirement. But if you're getting within 10 years, certainly within five or eight years, it's my belief that you should be starting to reduce risk, not necessarily in every single account, investment account that you have, but across the board, you should be thinking about um, adding in some stable investments to your portfolio and reducing stock exposure. And that's simply because most people as they approach retirement are more concerned with not losing money and they are less concerned with making their portfolio grow. So, what, so an all stock portfolio, hopefully diversified all stock, you know, we use strictly mutual funds and, and ETFs in the uh, portfolios that we manage for client, we're not individual stock pickers. We, we certainly believe in diversification at that level and also domestic and international. But, you know, an all stock portfolio, I lost my train of thought. What was I talking about? What, is your best well, bet for achieving return. Right. We're, we're, and, yeah, you're more, you're more concerned with yeah. preservation than growth, but you, right. still, but you still need to have growth uh, because of inflation, which I'm right. sure you're getting to. Right. Thank you. That's exactly yeah. what I was getting to. Yeah. yeah. So, but as you as you get older and transition to this period where I'm going to be starting to take my assets, I'm no longer adding to my assets. Most people's objectives shift. Not everyone, 
but most people's objectives shift to they're more worried or they're more susceptible to downturns and they're less worried about you know taking a lot of risk and growing my assets as much as possible because all of a sudden it becomes more real like okay this is it this is what i have this needs to last me it's not like oh i got 20 years until retirement let's just be aggressive as i can and make as much money as i can get you know what the markets will give me um that doesn't necessarily describe everyone but i will say the conversations that i've had with people that are pre-retirees that are very comfortable with risk we talk about i just had a meeting the other day with with a gentleman who was approaching retirement very comfortable taking risks wants wants to keep his assets mostly in all stock portfolios you know very comfortable with it long term and we sort of had this discussion like that's okay i can respect that and and let's let's do that for you and you know certainly some of some of your assets assets but you need to be prepared regardless you need to be prepared for a downturn which inevitably comes you know we the last little market correction we had was only a few months in length and then we had a recovery. The one before that was what, two years in length and, and we had one at the turn of the century that was three years or more. So you just never know how long these downturns will be but you should be prepared for them when they come. And so for this gentleman, it was like, okay, well, we're not going to put you in a balanced portfolio because that doesn't excite you enough. <laughs> right. But yeah, it's not what, they, so, not, not what they want. Right. It's not what he wants. So let's keep you in this all-stock portfolio, and you can smile when you have a double-digit return in good markets. And But guess what? You're going to keep a whole chunk of cash over here because when, if and when that portfolio is down 20 30 40%, God forbid, um, but, very, but certainly could happen, you need to be prepared for that and you need to promise me you're not going to touch it and start drawing from it when it's down in value. So you're going to tuck some cash over here. So that could be cash, high yield money markets, CDs, whatever, treasury bills. And you can tuck some safe money away and you should always have X dollars or X numbers of, of years worth of your safe money so that you can afford to be aggressive. But then we kind of, so we kind of talked that through. And then I was, we were, you know, I just kind of had to point out the fact that They're kind of you basically just put yourself yeah, in a balanced right. portfolio, right. even though you're technically not in a balanced portfolio in your retirement account, your overall asset allocation is now balanced because you have a big stock position over here and then you have a large stable position over mm -hmm. here. So, and he kind of was laughing and like, okay, I get that. Um, but you can't argue the fact that you know, if you're drawing money out, it could be monthly. I have some clients that take it bi-weekly, some that take it once a year. Um, you can't argue the fact that you're, you just can't afford to take a lot of risk when you're taking, I was gonna say a significant percentage, but if you're taking money out that, that's more than like a percent of the value of the portfolio um, and you're relying on that for your income needs, then you just can't argue the fact that you need to start considering or you need to you know have lower your risk in that portfolio because you're way more susceptible to downturns and it's not worth it um i just had one other thought and then i lost it um but anyway investment investment strategy becomes incredibly important i would say much more important in pre-retirement and in retirement years than it is when you're 30 because it's 
it's just more important to protect yeah. what you have. And yeah. the one the one thought I had on that was, you know, when we put people into the software and put a detailed plan together, you know, the one way that we have to kind of stress test the plan for, you know, investment returns yeah. and, and risk is is that, you know, the Monte Carlo uh, analysis, yeah. which, you know, we basically tell it, okay, you know, it's they're going to earn X percent, but along with that, there's there's a certain range of excitement uh, or returns, you know, both both good and, and or bad. Yeah. And so we can show people, well, you know, if you take on too much risk and yeah, even though you could potentially earn this, but once you start taking money out, that could actually have a negative impact, you know, on your mm -hmm. overall, you know, your overall plan. Uh, and so sometimes it actually pays uh, to be a little more conservative. Yeah, maybe your average returns are a little bit lower, but if we go through a rough period of time, you could be better off long, long term. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also wanted to talk, so primarily, or it's more common, I think, for us to see someone who is very aggressive going into those pre-retirement or retirement years because you're aggressive when you're younger and then many people kind of don't pay attention or don't know what else to do, so they just leave it. So that's sort of the norm. There are, on the flip side, there are also people that um, I meet that are just very uncomfortable with um, investing in the financial markets. They could have always been like that or it could be a recent thing. Um, they're very comfortable holding cash in the bank. They like CDs, you know, very just comfortable in that stable investment, not really an investment world. And, you know, that's, I can very much respect and I always defer to people's level of comfort, but it's my responsibility, I think, to at least point out the risks associated with that because with being too conservative yeah, yeah being too conservative and and i i i can think of i can probably count on one hand the amount of discussions i've had with people like in the last decade like this but it happens and i never and i always preface this by saying i'm never going to pressure anyone to being an investor if you're not comfortable being an investor those types of people you know maybe it was one spouse and the other spouse is comfortable with risk or maybe they're just looking for you know, some, some, some investment guidance and, or some, some financial guidance and, you know, maybe not necessarily a money management relationship. And I always preface it by saying, I'm never going to pressure anyone to invest their money if they're not comfortable. I don't want to put myself in that position, right? That, that's, I, that's a liability. And, I, and you know, I, pe the people that we work with are people that want to be investors, right? Yeah, that's not, it wouldn't, wouldn't be a good long-term relationship. Right, yeah. it wouldn't be. And, and, but, you know, I've said to people in the past, like, you, you know, you're taking a risk whether you know it or not because you know, risk in the financial markets is a risk that everyone knows about um, because we've had bad markets in the past and we will in the future. And it's in the news. And it's in the news. But the other risks that the people that have their money in cash or money markets or savings account, and I'm talking about your, your big money, I'm talking about like your wealth, um, those people have risks as well. They just might not know it. They have inflation risk. and. And you know, if your money is in cash earning a percent or two and inflation averages a little bit less than 3% very long term, it has been low in the last decade, but it averages greater than 2.5% upwards of 3% for like the last 100 years. You know, you're taking a risk, your, your capital depletion risk, you know, inflation risk, the risk is that inflation is eating away at the purchasing power of your investments. And even though you're seeing a return on paper, one or two percent these days, um, you're actually your your 
money, your purchasing power is actually decreasing every single year. Maybe not every single year, okay, because we've had years where inflation is low. On average. But on average, Te yeah. your money is decreasing Techni in value. Technically, it's shrinking. Not nominal dollars, not on paper, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, and then I another, just, one, yeah. one other thing is yeah. if, if, if they have, if they're holding like cash or all, you know, mostly cash or safe investments inside of a retirement plan, now they, then they're paying taxes on that too. Yeah, there you go. There so you go. They pull, there you they're, go. they're pulling it out, paying taxes, right. and it, it wasn't yeah, going as far to begin with yeah. um, versus inflation. Yeah. So I can think of, you know, a, a few conversations I've had with people, and that conversation is not meant to pressure them. It's meant to just make you aware that this is happening. And I think in the, maybe one or two of those people ended up investing some money, but, but I think the other ones were just like, some people okay, just, I needed just, to know that, but yeah. Some people are just not comfortable, and that's, right. that's okay. I mean, right. that's just... You know, it's not for everybody. Yeah. And just one more thing on the um, in investment allocation under this sort of stress testing your plan. We talked about having too much risk and we talked about having too little risk, but we also have to talk about having too much emotion with regards to your money. So, you know, a good investor, quite honestly, is someone who, um, well, is in an appropriate portfolio and or has a financial professional that they trust managing their money. But a good investor is also someone who can close their eyes and cross their fingers and, and just have faith. And a good investor is not someone who watches the value of their money every day and gets emotional about it. I mean, I do have some clients that look at the value of their assets every day. Now, fortunately, we've had good markets in the last 10 years. And for the most part, you know, balances are increasing unless they're taking money out. But um, you know, it's it's not healthy for you, and it leads to too much emotion if you're if you're looking at your balance very very frequently, especially in a market downturn, because it might cause you to I was going to say have bad behavior, but it it might cause you to react in an emotional way mm -hmm. and make a mistake with your money that can be very costly in terms of your long term return and growth of that money. So, having too much emotion. Money is very emotional, it, is, it just is, but I guess what I mean by that is maybe paying too much attention. Um, uh, I, I, I shouldn't say it like that because you, you, know, it, you, you, should, you should pay attention, you should, you should know what your money is doing for you. If you have a professional managing it, you should have a relationship with them and trust them. Um, but, but paying, yeah. scrutinizing too much maybe and reacting emotionally right. is what I'm getting at. Having too or, much emotion is not. I mean, and obviously, obviously we're biased, but you know, I would, you know, we would say, you know, pay, pay somebody, pay an advisor to, to, to let them carry the emotion, you know, let them worry about right. it, you know, pay somebody yeah. that, that hopefully you trust yeah. that's doing the right thing for you. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about it. Right. Uh, you know, some, you know, somebody's keeping an eye out for you. Perfectly stated. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly how we functioned in 2008 and early 2009 as it was, those were emotional times, but the, the vast majority of our responsibilities in those years were like coach, emotional coaching regarding your money and, um, and just kind of getting but, people through it. Yeah. But also, yeah, also going back to the basics of, you know, why the markets do what they do and, yeah. and just yeah, refreshing people's memories about why, you know, the mechanics of it. And yep. a lot of times that, that helps yep. you know, if you understand the, the fundamentals. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're talking about stress testing your um, retirement plan. This is retirement boot camp. Um, and we have a few minutes, I think, before the break. One of the things that we do with our clients where situationally appropriate is we would take 
their retirement plan, which is, hey, this is kind of what we think your retirement's going to look like and how much when you might retire and how much money you might need from your portfolio and how long your assets are going to last and all that. And we can sort of take that plan and we can um, drastically change some of the assumptions as a way of seeing how the plan reacts to that. And that's what we would call a stress test. So. So um, one of the more common ones is like stress testing it for a premature death. So um, you know, that's more common for people on the younger side that have kids that are dependents of them and larger mortgages and things and not, and not as many assets. Um, so that's a way of honing in on what you should be carrying for life insurance. But certainly a premature death is a good way to um, stress test a plan. Sometimes people on the older side that have you know, very little debt and have built their assets and are close to retirement. Many times a premature death doesn't necessarily, uh, isn't, isn't a dramatic change to a plan because they're prepared, they're prepared, they're financially secure anyway and prepared for it. So a lot of people, a lot of times older people don't really need to carry life insurance. Yeah. And we'll do that for, you know, people that uh, have a pension, uh, you know, when, when, oh, yeah. maybe, when maybe they're, you know, they're deciding which option they want to take as far as a spousal benefit. Yeah. You know, we can show them the different, you know, Stress test it and say, well, if you don't go with the spousal benefit and you die prematurely, yep. how does you know how does your spouse look? Yeah, uh, and a lot of times, you know, that'll kind of provide an answer as far as what's you know what's the the, the, the right the approach. Right. You know, uh, what's, yep. what's the right answer with regards to the pension right. calculation? Yep. Um, another stress test that we commonly do is stress testing for the need for one or both of the spouses to have to need to require long-term care services. That could mm -hmm. be just that could be at home, that could be nursing services at home, or it could be in like an assisted living nursing home type facility. And like nobody ever wants to have these conversations, but it's our responsibility as advisors to bring this up into conversation because it is potentially a huge impact to a financial plan. You could put together a perfectly successful retirement plan where you're drawing a very small percentage of your assets and it's projected to last for your lifetime. and. Um, and beyond and, you know, be left to your kids. But if someone needs, um, you know, an extended stay in, an, in a nursing home at, you know, 14 grand a month for X number of years, that's, that is just a huge variable that people should at least be aware of. There are certainly people that can, what we call self-insure a certain period of time. They may have the assets where they could afford to pay out of their own assets for that for a period of time anyway. Um, but many people, that would be detrimental to a retirement plan, and that's when you start getting into conversations about, well, there is this insurance product out there um, that is very, very appropriate for some people. Um, it's not incredibly common that, I shouldn't say that. It, it's, um, I think it's one of those insurance products that people kind of know they should have, but they don't really want to buy it. Um, it is. It is expensive, but it's. I think it's expensive for a good reason. It's called leverage. It I mean, provides a significant. It's benefit. all relative. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. yeah. Everyone. That's pretty. That's the common response we usually get. Is yeah. you know, I I don't know much about it, but I've heard it's expensive. I mean, I guess I could say it's. I mean, you could say it's not cheap, but that, like I said, it's relative. I mean, right. it, it, It's all. It all depends on, you know, for somebody that ha is you know maybe on the lower income side, it probably is not affordable. Uh, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but if they have, you know, if they have assets and, and, and it looks like they could afford it, then we would, you know, generally tell them to, to take a take a harder look at it. It's leverage, right? So five let me just use a number of five thousand dollars a year. 
I could imagine plans are priced in that Premium. range depending that's on that's how you're. That's what the cost of the insurance. Yeah. Yep. I mean, again, all dependent on the uh, the amount of the insurance you buy, your age, your health, uh, very de very dependent. But I wouldn't be uncommon for someone to get a quote for long-term care of $5,000 a year. But if you have access to a $500,000 pool of money to be used, then that's leverage. It, you pay $5,000 for $500,000. Then you get into the math of well, how many years would I have to pay? Statistically, when would I need it? How much will I have put in? You know, and, and all those conversations. But it's leverage. You pay a small amount for potential access to a large amount. You might never access it. You might access it, and it really pays off. But you know, it's it's our responsibility to bring up these conversations, and and I think there's a lot of people for whom this insurance is appropriate for, and unfortunately, a lot of those people don't pursue the insurance. Um, and I will say one other, th one other thing on, on this long-term care stress test, there are, that long-term care insurance world is shifting as well. There are not that many insurance carriers that will write those policies anymore and the policies have gotten, um, well, they've gotten more expensive over the years, but also the the benefits longer term are, are, you can't buy as good of a policy as you could buy a decade ago. They're still good policies and they still put, you know, cover, you know, a significant amount depending on what you buy if, if you need the care. But that world is shifting too and people should be aware that there are also life insurance policies where you can access benefits for long-term care. So there are these hybrid policies now and and again, we've done whole like whole two-hour shows on this, but I'll just touch on it really quickly that there are other options versus traditional long-term care insurance where you're paying that, you know, premium every month or every year. And if I don't, you know, if I die without ever going into a nursing home, I never used it. You know, there are there are life insurance policies where you can access a benefit for long-term care, and it sort of removes that whole use it or lose it concern that people have with traditional. Policies. So I've had a lot of conversations in the recent past about but take a look, take but, a look at this. It's very appropriate for you. Yeah. Um, not necessarily. No? Well, it depends. They're more expensive over a shorter period of time, so they're like a shorter pay. Okay. Um, so yes, that annual premium would be higher if you're comparing it to a similar standalone policy, but it's a limited pay, and also the premiums don't go up because life insurance product premiums are guaranteed and long-term care insurance premiums are not. So it's, you know, pros and cons, but I think it's a so higher, it's higher premiums but a shorter period of time. Yeah. Okay. So how long are you going to pay into it? Right. You unknown, don't know. unknown, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that those are pretty appropriate. But that helps people. that kind of helps people get over the hump the people that are like, well, yeah. what if I never use this? I don't that's exactly. you know, if that's if that's the turnoff then this is maybe a uh, an incentive. And I think that's one of the bigger concerns. Well, I might pay into this and never use it. It's, you know, different from like car insurance where if you don't crash, you never use it, but you have to carry it anyway, so you carry it. And it's not, you know, you're, you're talking about smaller dollars, mm -hmm. most likely, unless you're driving a Bentley or something. I'm not even sure what insurance on a Bentley would be because I don't drive a Bentley. Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> um, all right. Under the heading of stress testing, mm -hmm. you brought up, how much time do we have, by the way? wanted to make sure we don't run too far over. Okay. Um, you brought up fixed income and, mm -hmm. and pensions. Um, I think, you know, there are some 
once you put together a long-term plan, there are certainly some manipulations you can do with regards to fixed income. You mentioned, you know, do you take the, if you have a pension, do you take the option where you have the highest amount of income, but my spouse doesn't get anything if I die before it, her or him? Um, or do I take the lower monthly amount and provide a benefit to my spouse? That's certainly something that you can use the plan to model. Also, a lot of people get into wanting, sort of wanting to time Social Security and, and when is the optimum time for me to collect Social Security. Um, and those are interesting conversations. You know, if you collect at your FRA or your full retirement age, you get a certain benefit. If you delay until 70, um, you get an 8% per year increase every year until 70. Great increase on a benefit. Great, great if people can delay till 70 and get a higher benefit for life. If you collect earlier than your full retirement age, which for most people is like 66 and six to 67 now, um, if you collect earlier than that, you can collect as early as 62, you get a reduced benefit. No, I'm getting less money every month. Um, so we have lots and lots of conversations about like when is the optimum time to collect. And we can certainly use the software, and we actually have a separate piece of software that we use to do, an, it literally is an optimization. Um, but it's, but it's, I, it's all driven off of how long you live. That's right. Which, it's like, which is an unknown. Right. Yeah. I can give you a perfect answer to when is the best time for me to collect Social Security if you tell me when you're going as to die. As, yeah, as long as you live to 84.3, right. this is the right answer. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, if you... The cal the, those amounts are calculated based off of a, of a normal life expectancy, whether you're a male or a female. It's based on your life expectancy. So if you live, I have spreadsheeted this. If you live to your exact life expectancy per the IRS, no, the Social Security tables, if you live to your exact life expectancy, it doesn't matter when you collect, you'll get the same amount of money. We could talk about present value, future value, and, yep. you know, and inflation and stuff like that. That's a little bit different. But let's just say it's very close. If you live to your life expectancy, it doesn't matter. If you live a very long life, you should delay as long as possible because you'll collect a larger amount for a longer period of time, and you'll and you'll win the bet. You'll collect more. If you die prematurely, you should collect early. But of course, nobody. I don't know, unless you have a, unfortunately, a, an illness or something, you or, don't know these things. Or if you, have, yeah. you know, if, if it's in your genes, um, yeah. you know, if you, if you have, you know, parents, grandparents, if you've got a long line of people of, that have had shorter than average life expectancies, yeah. then then maybe maybe you're thinking that way and yeah. and okay, but but the more conservative option would be to, you know, defer right. uh, as long as you can. Right. Yeah. And I think, especially when you're talking about a um, a couple. And there's, if there's two Social Security benefits, sometimes you, I sort of hedge it and, you know, maybe one spouse collects at, you know, either early or at full retirement age. And maybe we delay one spouse's benefit to at least get that appreciation on one benefit. And if you're going to delay one, you probably want to delay the larger of right. the, the two benefits because right. you're getting that 8% per year increase on the larger of the two benefits. So you can certainly use the software to do some analysis on that, but really it all comes down to how long you're going to live and nobody... Pretty much nobody knows that.